We will not walk in fear one of another. This is no time for men who oppose Senator McCarthy's methods to keep silent. Mr. Edward R. Murrow has made repeated attacks upon me and those fighting communists. Somebody's going to go down. They're going to get audited this year. Not me, you. Hello, and welcome to Flashback, American Historians on Movies. I'm Katie Fapp, a doctoral student in American history at the University of Oxford's Rothermere American Institute, and I'm here to explore American history as seen through the lens of America's most popular history maker, Hollywood. Each episode, I'm joined by another historian as we discuss a movie that covers their own field of expertise. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Sage Goodwin to discuss Good Night and Good Luck, George Clooney's 2005 drama following Edward R. Murrow and Fred Friendly's coverage of Senator Joseph McCarthy's Senate Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations. Sage is a recently completed DPhil student from the University of Oxford, and her research focuses on this intersection of TV news and the civil rights movement. Welcome, Sage. Hi, Katie. Thanks so much for having me. No, thanks so much for coming on the show. And for covering uh, what is a movie slightly out of your wheelhouse, but I think really applies to your research anyways, if you'd want to speak to maybe what your research usually focuses on, your recently completed uh, thesis. Um, yeah, no, it definitely, it definitely does. So my thesis was about the relationship between the evolving television news industry and the struggle for black freedom in the 1950s and 1960s in America. So this isn't exactly what I look at, but I definitely look behind the scenes um, at CBS in particular. Um, it's obviously ABC, NBC and CBS, but CBS is a big player. Um, so I have spent a lot of time uh, reading kind of production notes and looking at executives' correspondence with their reporters and that kind of thing. So I've kind of been deep in the archives and I've actually been to Edward Morrow's archives. Um, oh, really? And I've, yeah, I've also uh, interviewed his son, Casey. Um, oh, shoot. Yeah, cool. so actually, this this is actually more in my wheelhouse than um, than you might have <laughs> than you might have thought. Great. Okay. Yeah, I um, I knew you'd worked with um, CBS in your research, but I didn't know like to the extent of it. So that's great. Um, and obviously, I mean, this movie isn't necessary. I mean, it's pretty much about McCarthyism, but um, not pretty much. It is, but. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it certainly does not shy away from the idea of civil rights either. There's kind of a little sprinkling, I think, intersection there as well that maybe we can get into. Yeah, definitely. Um, but that's great. Yeah. Um, I think this is, uh, had you heard of this movie before I recommended it to you or? So I'm kind of embarrassed to admit that I had never seen it, um, before you suggested we maybe, we maybe talk about it. Um, I had definitely heard the phrase good night and good luck before. Um, I, I was vaguely aware of it as a movie. I didn't know what it was about. I, di I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know what it was about. I think I might've known in some vague sense that George Clooney was connected to it, but I actually didn't know anything about it, um, which is actually really embarrassing for a television historian because uh, it's, it's actually a really important movie um, in terms of television history. And I really enjoyed watching it. Um, and as a television historian, it's just like jam packed with almost every single person in it and every single line of dialogue that they include is just weighted down with meaning. Uh -huh. um, okay, yeah, I was wondering about that. Yeah, no, it's it's like very deeply historically researched in terms of recreating 
the 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 history of the kind of CBS um, television at this time. Yeah, okay. I mean, there's there's questions in terms of the relationship between McCarthyism and kind of what happens to the show and that kind of thing. But in terms mm-hmm. in terms of the sort of broader kind of story of CBS and what's happening in TV news at the time, there's a lot of stuff there that is very like very directly taken quotes. You know, certain parts of the the dialogue and stuff they've they've used they've very been very intentional about the writing um oh that's great okay that's always good to hear i think in my research i saw that clooney um his father was a tv broadcaster or a news newsman um and he also majored in journalism so i think it comes from definitely a place of like knowing this world already very much um so that's oh but yeah i kind of as i was watching it i was like oh like i wonder how much this is you know because obviously i think it's it is displaying a very interesting kind of look at the between um, the production and like the reporting. But yeah, okay, we can get into it. Um, <laughs> the rest of the podcast. Um, I was just gonna say, yeah, I think you shouldn't feel bad about not knowing about this movie. I think um, I only knew about it because I had to, wa- or I didn't have to watch it, but we watched it in the seventh grade in like my seventh grade social studies class when we were oh. covering McCarthyism, um, and it had kind of been like in the back of my head um, since then. And I think the only, at least when I speak to people about it, the only people who do seem to know about it are other people who had watched it in their like middle school or high school history classes or um, big like Oscar heads, you know, because mm. pe- it, mm-hmm. it did um, or it got quite a few nominations at the Academy Awards. Yeah, I think six, um, but six yeah, or it seven. <clears throat> yeah. And we'll get into that as well. But. Yeah, it, I mean, and, and it did, you know, it did well at the box office. Maybe we just get into it now. But like <laughs> um, it, you know, it did well at the box office and made back. I think a lot of people, it was critically acclaimed. It was well received. Um, but yeah, it just hasn't seemed to last uh, super long in the cultural consciousness, which is interesting. Um, but then again, I also wonder how much of appeal of it is for, for people who don't really know Murrow or even grew up with like a semblance of kind of that television reporting um anyways before we get into it though um i would like to challenge you with the 60 second plot description (laughs) okay well as i mean a few of your previous guests have said historians famously (laughs) anyone who's ever been to a history conference uh famously good at keeping keeping to time and keeping things Mm -hmm. succinct um and i haven't you know i haven't pre-prepared it so i will try I'm going to risk either going way too short or way too long. So we'll we'll see how I do. We'll see. I think most people do either of the two. So we'll see where you land. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So again, for listeners who, if this is your first episode, um, the 60 second plot description is I challenge our guests to describe the plot of the movie in 60 seconds or less. It's been done Uh, in just in case people who haven't listened to the show before or Sorry, that's not it. Uh, in case people who haven't seen the movie uh, can kind of know what we're talking about as we go through uh, the rest of the podcast. Um, so Sage, I have 60 <laughs> seconds on the clock here. Are you ready to go? I am ready. All right. Three, two, one, go. So the movie takes us um, behind the scenes at CBS between 1953 and 1954, about an eight-month period, um, I think I'm right in saying, um, to the production of several episodes of the McCarth- the um, Edward Morrow and Fred Friendly uh, news documentary program, See It Now. And it's set in the context of the um, domestic Red Scare, uh, the kind of witch-, witch hunts of Senator... 
McCarthy, um, who made a name for himself. He was the junior senator um, from Wisconsin, uh, and he made a name for himself by taking up the um, internal fight against communism and by accusing people in Hollywood, in the State Department, in the federal government um, of being communists. Um, and Okay, that's 60 seconds. Oh, wow. That was so bad. <laughs> No, so bad. <laughs> okay, well, you know, it's you about... described McCarthy beautifully. No, if you, if you want to continue, you can. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, it Edward Edward Morrow is uh, in is probably the first most famous television journalist. He's kind of the man that um, put TV news journalism as a serious endeavor on the map, and the TV show follows a set of um, see it now broadcasts that he is the host um, and co-producer of, um, where he basically decides to take down McCarthy. uh, And it follows um, a set of... That's that's a bad way of describing it. He basically takes the issue of anti-communism in the way that um, McCarthy has uh, gone about his witch hunts um, and takes that as the topic of a series of See It Now um, broadcasts and then it kind of culminates in some very famous um, called the Army McCarthy hearings um, which were broadcast live on ABC and the, the sort of two stories that are told is one is about kind of television news journalism and the purpose and practice of it and what things like fairness and objectivity are supposed to mean and telling two sides of the story and the other is basically tracking what happened to McCarthy at the absolute right. height at the height of his wish hunts and then <laughs> how kind of television it's sort of telling the story of how television brought him down basically right yeah played a role in his downfall mm-hmm. exactly great no that's um fantastic yeah <laughs> we also get a little side plot I guess of um, some like uh, the personal lives of the other people helping him with this story, right? So like the Worshippers. We get the yeah uh, the, the main. I mean the main B plot is um, well. I suppose there are only two kind of personal stories that fit in really. It's the it's the marriage between um, Joe and Shirley Worshipper, and then mm-hmm. the really tragic suicide of Don Hollenbeck. Um, is right, which I think of... is more effective than the marriage. And the thing with the Worshippers is that you can't be married to other people in CBS. So they are secretly married, um, and they're yes, which is uh, on watching it. It kind of it sort of seems a little bit out of place. My feeling is that the reason that they're there is partly to kind of act in a way to show you the sort of heightened suspicion of the time, because a lot of the conversations they have between the two of them is about the feeling of what it what the kind of it feels like to be in the middle of the red scare um and there's a whole bunch of right. stuff about kind of what that did with the tv industry which i mean we can get into but the thing that i'll point out is that joe and shirley washbo were consultants on the film yeah i was gonna say yeah, yeah. i was so, doing my uh pre like a uh, prep for this episode uh, i found a featurette from the movie and they were consultants on the film so i was like ah, okay <laughs> so yeah, that, that, <laughs> that makes sense that's that's why they're in here You're like oh, okay i get it yeah and it's it is kind of um yeah, I think you're right about pointing out they kind of, you know, give another angle on this fear of suspicion um, because the movie as a whole kind of is in this frame narrative of Murrow giving a speech uh, in 1956, I think, about his career in television. 58. So it's the Radio Television News Directors Association 
um, annual conference and the speech right. that he gives where he um, it's so sorry the reason the reason I'm correcting very famous speech right yeah. is it's a very famous speech yeah right. that he gives there where he kind of and that the yeah. he concludes right, by the saying whole speech without the, yeah this is just lights and lights in a box so Edward Murrow I basically knew about him from this movie you know since middle school on um but he was a big dude and it's I was again in prepping for this uh record I was like kind of shocked he has a really interesting career where he kind of moves from radio to television and he's it sounds like he's always been very skeptical or he was always very skeptical skeptical of television yes so he so Edward R Morrow is basically he's kind of the godfather of television news uh is Mm. kind of one way putting one way putting it and it's also important to point out that that see it now episode the the report on senator senator on mccarthy McCarthy, um really was also a very big deal in his in his early career in television that kind of you know a lot of a lot of people say that that really put him it it definitely didn't put him on the map he was very much on the map before that but it put him as a tv news journalist Mm. on the map that television and it also put kind of in a lot of ways it put put tv news on the map because you're at the point here it's a very something to be taken seriously something to be taken seriously um at this at this point in time this early 50s moment tv is in its kind of tv news the tv news department is in its very earliest infancy and most people in print reporting most people in radio reporting think it's a gimmick think it's not gonna last think it's a joke um Edward Burrow among them um Fred Friendly who in the movie is played by George Clooney um mm-hmm. very much dragged Morrow into television he was very like he was reluctant um something that uh, you know you can read about a lot of uh, accounts but um something that Casey Morrow uh also um oh, sorry that's what I'm looking for uh like substantiated as well uh, when I tried to told you like yeah yeah, yeah he con- confirmed that he said I think mm. those were his words that Fred Friendly dragged, dragged Edward Morrow into <laughs> into TV news reporting. So, in terms of knowing who Edward Morrow was, if you mm. go back to the early fifties, everyone knew who Edward Morrow was because he'd become very famous in his reporting for radio during the Second World War. He um, reported from London, uh, and he was kind of the right. voice of you know, which I think war- is where the term "good night and good luck" yeah. comes from. He first said it in his wartime London reports and. Yeah, I think it's Christmas Eve in 1940. He says so long and good luck. And then kind of from there it moves on. Becomes um, his thing. Yeah, becomes uh, becomes his sign-off. Also, interestingly, you know, because of the movie, in the speech that he gives, he he in the actual speech that he gave in 1958, sure. the RCMDA, he didn't he didn't sign off saying good night, good luck. <laughs> but, uh, that, you kind of have to do it in the movie, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's that's the movie thing. But he did, but he did in his uh, he did in his see it now broadcast. Um, but yeah, so Edward Morrow is so he gets um, him and Fred Friendly had a show called I Can Hear It Now. Sorry, they had a they made. Um, they it was called hear it now which came from right. recordings that they did called i can hear it now um and then moved into tv fred friendly dragged edward morrow see it now into, yeah <laughs> sorry, dragged um dragged morrow into see it now um and his reporting on see it now most people in the industry you know reflecting back on basically say he's the person that kind of invented tv news journalism um see it now kind of set the um set the standard for mm. um 
TV news documentaries. Um, and he became, um, I think his, one of his biographers said that the Sufsiet now made him the kind of the most respected, yeah, the most respected television journalist in America. Um, right. This yeah. is where maybe where we start to get the idea that Americans trust the TV man, right? Like this kind of building a sense of trust with television news. Exactly. Is how I understand it. Right? Exactly. And then obviously the next, you know, the next big figure I would say that comes after Edward Murrow is probably Walter Cronkite, who right. is then like has the moniker, the most trusted man, the mo- like the most trusted man in America. Okay, um, cool. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I mean, it is really interesting seeing this movie, I guess, you spoke to it, right? TV, it, this movie is very much dealing with this idea that TV is, is in its infancy. It is still trying to define itself and what it will be. And I mean, beyond obviously the big McCarthyism uh, plot of the movie, I think one of the big themes is like, you know, kind of we see the actors in the movie or not the actors themselves, but the, the characters in the movie trying to steer which direction television will go, whether it will be for entertainment or for more serious things like taking on McCarthy and the role also of reporters. I think there's the great line that the executive um, or one of the executives gives early in the movie is that we don't make the news, we just report it. And the question of like, okay, like what is the role of the journalist in the news? Yeah, exactly. So that's actually one of the big questions I look at in my thesis and the way that covering the civil rights movement was a kind of stress test that really forced um, TV news departments to... Um, formulate policy about as to how to do that um, but yeah that's it's, it's an ongoing question and of course TV news this that particular issue of reporting rather than creating the news is one that's unique to television in a way that is very different from print reporters because print reporters the only thing that you need to report is a pad and a pencil um, so they can very easily blend into a crowd, melt into the background. People can forget that they're there, etc. But for TV news, because you have to, you know, you have at that have stage extremely bulky equipment, a giant camera, yeah, and, and an entire yeah. and an entire team. It's not just one reporter. Um, and if you're, you know, if you're interviewing people, you know, they've got a massive camera in their face, they've got a microphone in their face, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you, uh, it's it's a very different kettle of fish from mm. from print reporting, um, and right. you. I, yeah, people in terms of make you you also have the issue of like filmed footage. TV mm. news needs filmed footage, and in order to get filmed footage, you need to be there when the action is happening. Mm. So, in terms of so, how do you anticipate? Yeah, what? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I think that's one of the interesting things about See It Now, which the movie plays with, and I also kind of watched a few or watched a bit of an episode of See It Now, um, is that it is very much like it's. I mean, today, right, we think of kind of like newscasters sitting in front of a desk, kind of speaking to you with like a green screen in the background, whereas to see it now is it's if you're joining Murrow behind the scenes of a television, right? Because it, you know, it has him sitting there smoking a cigarette and then it kind of pans to a television within the studio and then kind of zooms in into the footage that they bring for that episode. You know, like it's kind of as if you're in the production room with Murrow and Friendly mm. it, but but it is in this very staged way mm. obviously because it's it's the stage the real production as we see in the movie you have all the people behind the scenes on the soundboard like editing things and also the editors right and you know clipping together the footage as it goes mm. yeah yeah the, the cross cuts and all of that yeah um yeah and I think that's all um 
that's all very intentional um and they do you know in certain see it now episodes um morrow does kind of almost reflect on that a little bit in his sign-offs you know he says things like we're just trying to hold a mirror up to society Um, right which is i think the power of the mccarthy record uh, reporting right it's like Mm. he's the movie at least shows very much it's not like we're not trying there's not kind of like weird edits right they're very much just like showing people this Mm. is what mccarthy he has said these things right they don't have to edit anything it is just mccarthy himself that they're bringing to the people who are watching see it now which is an interesting question right because they're still um this is the thing with you know the the question with tv is because Mm. There's a so there's a certain idea that because you can see filmed footage, that um, a whole set of deci- that it, it kind of obfuscates a whole set of decisions that are made because mm. you still you still have the issue of who's decided where to point the camera, what's in frame, right. when are we cutting it, what are we covering even still. So mm-hmm. there's you know an entire matrix of decisions, editing decisions um, mm-hmm. that are being made. It's not just because you can see video of something, it doesn't mean that you get are getting the whole story and it doesn't mean the that truth maybe yeah, yeah. The, 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 the truth yeah, <laughs> yeah. we're doing air quotes yeah doing air quotes <laughs> for the about, listeners about at home we're doing air quotes yeah um, but that but it's important to note that that was very much part of um the i don't think mythos is the right word but the kind of the narrative that early television news professionals were putting out there when they're trying to kind mm-hmm. of make the claim for the importance of tv and what tv can do um they are very much leaning into that idea of we're we take you can we're taking you to the scene you can see for yourself what's happening right they're you know leaning into the idea um like this is the truth that this right? is a conduit to the outside world and right that they're not um yeah a, a lot of the, you know not just, editorializing maybe right like this, yeah. is, this is what the camera shows you yeah we're but then of course you. now we think like but who's controlling the camera? Who's yeah. shooting? And yeah, We're showing exactly. In Senator McCarthy, in his own words, kind of, you know, you can, in his pictures, in his words, um, et cetera, which is, I mean, you know, a big, obviously a huge part of uh, the power of TV um, mm. is the ability to do that. And, for, you know, w- with that particular story, the fact that you could see McCarthy and the kind of distaste, the more sort of distasteful elements were things that wouldn't have come across uh, in print. Um, and right. that's something you know a lot of TV historians and, which is something you know, I think image media has always I mean I think about um, the Civil War when that's you know kind of the first big American war that has photographs and that was photography was touted as the same thing like we're showing mm-hmm. you the truth of the battlefields um, but they don't get into like Matthew, Matthew Brady like posing uh, dead bodies on the battlefield to get kind of like the ultimate you know Civil War battle scene as it were uh, so that's always been kind of something that I think image media has it's been an undercurrent right like it's not a new thing with television but oh yeah and it's interesting you mentioned mccarthy as well is that again in production or not production uh preparation for this i found that apparently when they screen this for test audiences and this came from a review of the movie in the daily telegraph uh test audiences complained that the actor playing joseph joseph mccarthy was too over the top the kicker to that is that there's no actor playing Justin McCarthy. They used archival footage of McCarthy, right? So it is... Exactly. Yeah, there's just kind of... Yeah. <laughs> it extends into the present, right, in this movie. Yeah, which, I mean, I think is a really important choice that George Clooney uh, made to use the original footage. And I think I read somewhere that um, it was because he felt 
like you needed to kind of really because because that footage was important you really need to see it but also felt that any actor doing it people wouldn't believe exactly that that you know it's, it's that's kind, how he behaved yeah it's kind of like when someone has a weird accent um and mm. then if someone's going to act them you just think oh they're doing they're doing the accent wrong um, yeah you know yeah. you actually Very needed to tom hanks and elvis energy right yeah. like this there's no way this man could have sounded like this so then you listen you're like oh no he did yeah um, exactly or yeah, in, um, it's kind of like uh, inventing anna um yes I've, oh I, gosh, I found yeah. i couldn't i actually couldn't i couldn't watch it because i found uh, julia Gon- julia garner's accent self-putting but it she's she nails it that yeah. is what she sounded like and yeah. if it was but a real person yeah that's exactly could, how she sounds like yeah like yeah yeah exactly yeah why do you dress like that yeah um yeah, one hundred percent. And then, yeah, sorry, off track. Going back to this idea of like choosing where to put the camera, I think the movie actually does a really good job of showing that as well. I just think early on in the film, you have this. I think it's kind of maybe the first scene in the movie where it's everybody in the newsroom reading, going through like papers from around the country, and kind of pitching what they want to cover on See It Now. So you kind of see this like conscious decision on being like. Mm-hmm somebody being like oh there's this new story in Arizona and then going like no that's boring and then somebody bringing up the Milo Radulovich yeah. case mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which becomes the start of this takedown of McCarthy mm-hmm. yeah so that's um that's interesting because uh it gets into two things number one who decides what's news um mm-hmm. who decides what's news who is the intended audience um that's actually something so i interviewed quite a few tv news reporters producers um executives from um more from the 60s not that many of them (laughs) from the 50s are still available to be interviewed unfortunately yep um and i i asked every one of them you know what what counts what counts as news how did you decide what what news was um and all of them had kind of slightly different um you know, there there was no set there was no set answer to that question. One of them um, used the um, he referenced that uh, famous judge's ruling about p- pornography. It was like I know it when I see it. Um, right. He was like, you know, you just you get a knack for it once you're in the business. Once you learn, you you start to just understand um, what is news and what isn't. What is kind of interesting what isn't i mean in in my work that's something i get into is if you know if all if all tv news journalists are white men um then what they think of is newsworthy um uh, might be different from it's different from what, from what other, other people might think is what other people might think is newsworthy um but the um there's a couple of interesting quotes here, like here and there throughout um kind of various tv news people talking about that kind of thing where they suggest that the audience um is i think so rune frank is the new the news director at nbc he says that it uh you know the idea the person that you should have in mind is a middle class college educated housewife that's who mm. you should be pitching it to um okay in terms of like the the level of um of what you're reporting or what you're reporting on yeah or how not yeah i think yeah that they should be interested interested in it and then there's a there's a Murrow quote um from early on in see it now where he says um he he says to his team something along the lines of imagine you're at dinner with a college professor and the maid is serving you food and the maid's boyfriend who's a truck driver is in the kitchen 
the report that you should be giving should be understandable to the truck driver in the kitchen, but not boring for the college professor that you're talking to. Okay. So, so that's yeah. the, the kind of fine line of the television reporting. Yeah. Which exactly. this movie, I think also at the end of it, doesn't it? Because, so I mean, throughout the plot of this movie, we see them taking a McCarthy and obviously you have the executives very nervous about the uh, pushback to this. And at the end, and this is kind of, I think, where you mentioned as well, the movie does a little bit fudging. It's implied that they cancel or at least move, uh, see it now to a different time slot that will kind of kill it. Um, yeah. That's... Because of the McCarthyism. And I think they mentioned, you know, like this, Murrow makes a stand that television audiences are educated, right? You don't have to dumb things down for them. They are smart. But yes. eventually it's the executive saying like, no, just put on the entertainment instead. Yes. So one thing I want to bring up in terms of that is obviously a, a big thread is kind of what is what is TV news? Who is it for? Mm. What should it be? And I mean, it's important to understand TV news in the wider television landscape because it's not he's not just talking about TV news. He's talking about television as a whole, um, mm. and it's. The television news's place in the wider ecosystem of um, entertainment television. I mean, the other thing that's important to bring up is Fred Friendly's original conception for See It Now was a life magazine for the air. Um, I saw that in Fred Fred, in his biography, right? Yeah. So it was never it, it and it wasn't <laughs> just pure hardcore investigative journalism on really like hard hitting topics. There mm-hmm. was also kind of softer, softer things that I think would were still would still fit in that kind of educational, sophisticated audience bracket. But mm-hmm. I think the the movie sort of doesn't quite give you the other stuff no. that was happening at CNN now at the same time. Um, and it, I mean, it also, the movie makes a point as well, as like kind of juxt- so you have Ed, you have Murrow's See It Now and then you have Face to Face, which is another per- person to person. Person, person to person. person, sorry, yes, yeah. person to person, right? Where he's like interviewing celebrities um, yeah. as very like two like opposite sides of his, you know, he doesn't want to be doing the celebrity interviews. He wants to be doing the hard-hitting news. But like, I mean, you can speak to him more. The episode of See It Now I watched opens with him speaking to a congressman and just like touring his home in a very like mm. magazine, like, oh, mm. let's have an interview with this person, see what their home life is like. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's it's a combination of the two. Um, but the other, the other thing that I wanted to bring up that we haven't touched on yet, and I probably, Mm. I suppose it's not a plot summary, so I wouldn't have brought it up there, but I think like things that kind of front and center is the context that George Clooney made it in, which was, um, the post 9-11 war against terror and the Iraq war. War on terror, yeah. So George Clooney has a really intentional, you know, he was, he was doing it very intentionally for the moment that it was in. And he was using this kind of historical story as a, almost like a parable, I guess, of mm. basically the parallel story to like what TV news should be used for is the role of kind of civil liberties and how they right. should like should or shouldn't be infringed for the kind of wider national security. Um, exactly. Right. It's very ideas. intentional that, I mean, I'll be, I, I think it's very clear that this movie that yeah he went into this movie thinking about that and like made it for the right because this is 2005 it's the middle of it and then I mean it also ends um well I guess it it ends on him finishing his speech at the uh annual like luncheon but 
the you know the kind of within the story it ends on a telecast of Eisenhower making a point about habeas corpus right so it's like very clearly like it's like it could I don't think it could be more obvious yeah it can be more clear <laughs> yeah and yeah you were saying, you, sorry you were asking me about the fudging of um sort of the timelines and things so yeah the, the movie kind of sets it up that you have these broadcasts that see it now did and that Edward Morrow did and they I mean it doesn't say that they brought down McCarthy it does get because I mean the army McCarthy hearings were very That's like important the final. but you know they kind story. of push the the yeah, they push the they, seat. They, they push the seat now. Yeah, stuff. They, pu- they push it into yeah, yeah. Yeah, and also, I mean, important to point out that ABC, other people that that um, broadcast the hearings, um, not not see well, also yeah. had a role in this, right? Not yeah. just CBS. Yeah, um, and then, you know they, they have the shot of um, Morrow kind of in the middle of person's person, kind of wistfully like looking over at the Army McCarthy hearings and saying, obviously, like that's what he um, that's what he would rather be kind of doing. Yeah. Um, which has a really interesting parallel actually in the 60s when mm. so Fred Friendly goes mm-hmm. on um, you know won't take you down his entire career but basically goes on to become the president of CBS News uh, okay. in the 60s and resigns in 1966 because he couldn't get the clear all clear to um, broadcast the okay now my turn to actually... is this the I Love Lucy story yes so okay. he they were sh- he couldn't they had to show I Love Lucy and he wanted to show um, hearings about um, the government government's dis- uh, sorry okay let me actually um, look this Vietnam up. right yeah about about Vietnam yeah. basically the the I think it's the hearings um, yeah Senate hearings questioning American involvement in Vietnam yeah exactly yeah. Um, and then he he resigns um, because of that. So it's it's kind of there's a there's a parallel there between kind foreshadowing of foreshadowing his later career maybe yeah well so it's sort of that that moment that the movie is showing Morrow having to do this person to person thing when really he thinks what should be should being shown is these this really important um, public hearing that's happening between um, the army and McCarthy um, which is basically yeah kind of gets mirrored later on between. Fred friend like Fred friendly and that ultimately makes him leave television um mm. and he and so that his next job is a post um as a professor at Columbia which is another one of those little easter eggs which is when Bill Paley says to Fred friendly and Edward Murrow in his office at one point you should work you should uh, he says something like you should you should teach journalism he says something like right. that which is like yeah. a very like that's that's one of those like Easter egg uh-huh. moments. Wink and a nudge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Because Fred Friendly goes on to become a professor of journalism at Columbia. Okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, think uh, yeah. You, I mean, you very clearly bring up the fact that Clooney's making this in two thousand five mm-hmm. as a response to the war on terror. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think the movie does take like I guess like the dramatic license we would say in kind of pointing out or this moment has clearly been very important for the legacy of um, broadcast news or just television entertainment generally, but then is also kind of the end of this maybe uh, golden age of like this very like idealistic look at like what TV can offer to Americans. Right. And it falls by the wayside because executives who want more face to person to person or quiz shows, I think is kind of the lambast they point to a lot in the movie. Yeah. Which I would say is a, this kind of, 
golden age of television idea um, is one that got a lot of traction in um, the sort of cable era and the kind of rise of like infotainment um, and the idea that, you know, like there's no such thing as kind of like real, real important television news anymore, um, which is a, is a bit of a, it's a bit of a myth. Uh, well, not not a myth. It's it's like the first interpretation and the revisionist, revisionist interpretation is that actually, if you uh, look back, there was the golden age wasn't so golden. You know, mm, there infra- yeah. infotainment was always part of elements of TV news. You know, see it now it had these kind of softer parts in it, etc. Um, mm. So yeah, the, the kind of the golden age narrative that the movie is pushing is one that like doesn't quite doesn't it's not quite what happened and i mean the thing that i think it's really important to understand is it was it's always been a lot more complicated than it comes across because the story that comes across here ain't that the truth yeah welcome to welcome to doing a history history, right it's actually it's actually more complicated than that um because the thing is there's this especially with tv news there's this really interesting and this interesting tension between the news and entertainment. Um, there's a sociologist uh, and journalism professor named Michael Shudson who has this phrase that I really love um, that says television news is that awkward blend of Jefferson and Coca-Cola um, because you're That's still... Good. Yeah, because it's this, you know, this whole kind of public service um, <clears throat> civic responsibility like it's a member of the fourth estate and the point of it is to allow you know americans to properly to allow american democracy to properly function by keeping its citizens informed that's the only way you can make you know proper choices about your government is if you know all the facts and that's have the information yeah right. that's the, that's one of the you know television as a member of the fourth estate that's part of part of their function but the networks, and we're obviously very much talking about the network era here in the early fifties. They're they're mm-hmm. private. They're private companies that have profit. They have to make a, a dollar profit. at, the, at yeah. the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. they are also Coca Cola, um, as well as being Jefferson. But it's a really interesting relationship they have there because the television news departments have this kind of public service function, and the entertainment side of things. You know, there's an argument that is made, and it's kind of the one that Bill Paley. Um, said to all his reporters or all of his reporters and journalists tend to report um Mm -hmm. that bill paley was very much like you guys do the news don't worry about anything else you just give us the best news that you can and the entertainment kind of side of the um of the operation is will foot the bill for the rest of it so right yeah then then, (laughs) like the entertainment stuff is gonna do its own thing and gonna generate all the money that being said TV news did become extremely profitable by the end of the 60s. I think um, the evening, like CBS's evening news, I think is like their most profitable show or something like that um, by the end of the 60s. Um, The other thing, sorry, again, to kind of put like... No, please. TV TV news historian hat on here. It's a history podcast. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing that's really important to this whole conversation about objectivity and fairness and balance and all of these things is that tv news is operates in a completely different system from something like the print press and the reason Mm -hmm. for that is because of the regulatory um environment that allows tv news to happen so because tv 
because television stations need access to um, the airwaves, which mm-hmm. is a scant public resource, so it's a limited public resource, um, Congress decided that they it should kind of be up to them to bestow licenses um, on television news stations to access particular frequencies. Mm. Um, so it's not the same with newspapers. Newspapers, anyone can make a newspaper. It's, or you yeah, need a print press. Yeah. Find a printing press and yeah, yeah. go at it. So, sure. total, so the relationship to the First Amendment is different because mm. and anyone, anyone can make a newspaper and there are thousands of newspapers and, you know, in, in a sense, like the mar- it, it's kind of the market controls it to a degree. Right. Um, whereas right. for TV... Um, the original, so it's in the 1934 Communications Act, which is what creates the Federal Communications Commission. Um, mm-hmm. They basically decide that it should be Congress should control who is allowed to have a TV news station. Um, and those contracts, or those, sorry, not contracts, those licenses are, are up for renewal every couple of years. So okay. Um, and one of the things that they just, that Congress decides that needs to happen is that television news needs, sorry, not television news, television, every, licensees have mm-hmm. to provide programming that um, is in the public interest. Um, okay. And something called the Fairness Doctrine in 1949, in, that gets formulated in 1949, says that in order to um, fulfill that obligation, they need to show... Um, controversial they need to cover controversial issues and when covering controversial issues they have to show um contrasting viewpoints so that's any licensee has to prove that they are doing that in order licensees are these like abc cbs nbc or are these the smaller local stations the smaller local stations but abc NBC and CB to get to get more confusing they also have owned and, <laughs> owned and operated stations in the biggest okay. in the biggest uh kind of the big cities yeah so like Chicago Markets, New York maybe yeah. yeah yeah so they are at once both licensee holders in mm-hmm. their kind of very big important markets and they're operating um in this like delicate relationship with the affiliates so they have okay. to be they have to be providing the affiliates with programming that has this public interest imperative fair. Okay. yeah mm-hmm. that that that, op- that kind of operates within the fairness doctrine but so so basically television news journalism has this standard that it has to uphold about mm-hmm. fairness equality um <laughs> equal time is a whole nother it's a whole nother slightly different thing as <laughs> we well to- <laughs> um we, we won't go down that road but um Yes, so they they have this they have this imperative. There's a lot to, of standards they have to adhere to. Yeah, there's a lot of standards they have to, to, to this, yeah. adhere to. A lot of it is also you have at the same time. So you've got this like regulatory um, climate that exists, uh-huh. and then alongside that, you have television news reporters who see themselves like in the kind of honourable noble tradition of journalists as mm. being professionals Which is and very much what like Murrow is yeah, kind of yeah that, that kind of vibe here in this movie yeah, yeah. so basically they're basically the, because I mean it's complicated and probably quite boring they obviously don't <laughs> don't get into that whole kind of no, other yeah. other <laughs> element of it it's like a less you know I mean, that, that gets to the thing of like right like you're making a movie about television which is kind of like an interesting mind bend it's like how much do you show yeah. of like the yeah the, the the what is it like the pig being butchered is that is that the phrase or something something to that effect the, right? sauce, like, the sausage being made how much thank yeah. you yes yeah. I, 
which a, I mean, this is the same sausage. Thing. Yeah, it's the same. It's a yeah earlier, sure. earlier process. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, you just kind of get like the exciting, I guess, stuff here of um, well, exciting is maybe uh, too much of an adjective for this movie, in my opinion. <laughs> well, so okay, so that's actually something that I wanted to ask you about as a as, yeah. an, as not a television historian. Um, hmm interesting that they made you watch it in your kind of seventh grade class because i watched this and i think that must have been absolutely deathly for a seventh grader because as it so and the reason i say that is because the movie as much as it's kind of really doing the whole kind of narrative of the impact of these documentaries and the fact that it makes see it now end which is you know like not actually true it's all, all a bit like hollywoodized um Mm -hmm. it's through a lot of other issues really not holding your hand at all it's not telling you it's not giving you a lot of context it's not like every single one of those people in those rooms was a person was uh, sorry (laughs) that sounds really dumb every single one of those characters (laughs) was a real was a real person based on someone real life yeah yeah right every single every single one of those people is based on someone in real life every you know, every one of them has a, has a name and position who exists mm-hmm. in history that and a historian yeah. could look yeah. more into and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Or, or that a, I mean, that a television. You know, I watched it being like, oh my gosh, that guy's playing Don Hewitt. <laughs> they know and that, that guy. Guy's, yeah, that yeah. guy's playing. You know, that guy's playing Sig Mickelson. Oh my gosh, that guy's yeah. playing. But like, you like would... Leonardo DiCaprio meme yeah. for television historians. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, you know, great. But if you if you don't know those things, like if you don't know who Sig Mickelson is. You, you're yeah like what seventh grader in 2009 is gonna, what, nine is gonna... <laughs> and it was, I mean it was interesting that I mean obviously George Clooney you can tell that he kind of really um I don't know really hero worship is probably a little bit too far but he kind of really valorizes Edward Morrow and I think he uh-huh. I, I read a quote from him somewhere that he was actually quite surprised that like a third of Americans or like only a third of Americans had ever heard of Ed Morrow okay okay George Clooney <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it is, I guess, I mean, it's been quite a while now since I watched it in the seventh grade. I mean, obviously it stuck with me or like whenever I would kind of think about like McCarthy or Clooney, I would be like, oh yeah, that movie, that's like, I, I, I guess I remember, I don't, I have an impulse to say that it's the first movie I watched in black and white, but I feel like that can't be true. I mean, I'd seen The Wizard of Oz, which like, you could make the argument is sepia, um, but I think, I, I guess that probably like left an impact on me. Um, I think at the time I was mostly because fi- we were watching it because we were covering McCarthyism in mm, class. Mm. Um, so I think I just, the idea that these were real newsmen kind of flew over my head. Um, I don't even know if I registered that Murrow was a real person. <laughs> <laughs> I, I must, you know, I'm sure our seventh grade teacher told us like this man, you know, had a real television program and, you know, played a part in um, the public perception of the changing public, changing the public perception of McCarthy. Um, but I, I think I almost maybe thought it was like an amalgamation of that kind of like Walter Cronkite, you know, kind of classic fifties mm. newsman. Right. Mm. Um, and I, yeah, I thinking about the seventh grade history curriculum that year, it was probably at the end of the year because I think that was like the time uh, that you watch movies. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's like, I'm thinking like, you know, if, if that was like, you know, that was, um, American history, right at the end of the curriculum it must have been the, it must have been the end of the year when we watched this so I, I'm pretty sure we were all checked out from like learning a hundred 
maybe more years of American history and my probably poor exhausted teacher was just like yeah throw this on for them (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah, no, it, it, but it is something like, I mean, in reviews of this as well, people kind of point out like how staid and just, it is, it's not very fancy, the filmmaking. I mean, it is, it's very stylish, but it is like very, just like we're telling you the story of this man reporting on McCarthy. And I think, and a lot of reviews mentioned like this would be great to show in like a history class, right? Mm, I think maybe sure. because of that simplicity, perhaps not thinking about the fact that uh, students might not think it's like the best thing to watch right like because they don't know who murrow is and well nowadays maybe you'd get the sense like oh my god it's iron man but like (laughs) (laughs) yeah you'd really stand out to you like oh my gosh yeah Yeah, it's, it's george clooney um yeah i mean to me this reads as a you know george clooney had like a really george clooney had something he wanted to say Um, He obviously has a personal relationship with this. Yeah, Yeah. he has a personal relationship with this. He had a political point that he wanted to make. And it's also, I mean, to my eyes, it's very much a movie to Hollywood. It's for, it's for, Mm. it's for Hollywood. It's a Hollywood movie, isn't it? Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a Hollywood movie, but it's, it's for like the audience is Hollywood. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yes, Um, Yeah. So that's about, yeah. Which, which is something that Hollywood, Hollywood loves to do loves a hollywood movie hollywood loves and although it's not although it's not hollywood it's television it's still um the fact that it's about mccarthyism so i mean like mccarthy like there's a whole relationship between the anti-communism and hollywood the blacklist which is something that was kind of like also ill-defined when i was learning about this right you have so you have like mccarthy's senate subcommittee on let me get the let me get the official name uh the Senate Senate Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations, which is not HUAC, which is not the HUAC, House, House Un American Activities Committee. Un American yeah, yeah. committee. Um, but I think they the two get conflated in mm. most people's minds. Mm. Mm-hmm. And HUAC is the one that I think was the blacklist. Blacklist. blacklist yeah, which Hollywood. was Hollywood's own kind of if you're a communist or who have had communist uh sympathies in the past, you are no longer mm-hmm. allowed to work in the industry. You're kind of just like exactly. you're not directly told no, you're just not hired. Yeah, but yeah, black blacklisted and careers um, ruined, which I mean, sorry, that touches on the sort of classic undergraduate essays, how central was Joseph McCarthy to McCarthyism? Um, Because there's obviously a whole, there's a whole bunch more stuff involved. It existed before McCarthy. Yeah, exactly. His Senate committee. Yeah. Yeah. And there's other actors that are important in that and the kind of longer story. Um, Also, just another interesting point to point out between uh, the te- like television and Hollywood, they operate slightly differently because you have the sponsor, um, the sponsor model in television. Mm. Um, anti-communism can kind of flourish in television. The the sort of like McCarthy witch hunt element of the anti-communist um, movement can flourish more in television because it's kind of easier to um, you have that relationship between sponsors and audiences. Um, mm. So it's it's kind of easier to uh, for that to grow than in Hollywood, which is yeah. Sponsors can you know as as the as the show um, as the movie shows like sponsors can withdraw their support. Um, although as we sort of touched on earlier, Alcoa did not withdraw their sponsorship because of that See It Now episode. Like that is not what right. happened. They carried <laughs> they carried on sponsoring See It Now for a whole another season. Oh um, wow, okay. 
yeah, it's only in it's only much later that they withdraw their sponsorship, and it's partly because um, basically the job is done. Alcoa is forever put in people's minds as like sponsoring See It Now, so they kind of they got yeah, the like, publicity like, manage. Okay, wrap it up. We, yeah, we did we, what we, we wanted we, to achieve. Yeah, yeah. We've, we've done, yeah. and you know, you get, you get people saying, you know, still Alcoa like brings to my mind like this idea of da da da. So they kind of See It Now. Okay. Yeah, um, interesting. Yeah, so they actually like they feel like they don't need to see it now anymore, and it was a bunch of controversial documentaries, not just that one. Um, mm. So it's kind of it's it's Which... kind of it's kind of twofold. So friend, I think it's Fred Friendly says in his uh, he sort of does say a little bit in his autobiography, like yeah, they were probably done with the it probably was to do with the like an element of it was that all these controversial things that we were doing, they were probably not loving that so much anymore. But also all of these other factors. Um, so yeah, that kind of point A to point B that the movie shows is definitely missing out like C, D, E, F and G over a period of time. <laughs> sure. Sure. And I think uh, yeah, at the beginning, again, like in this framing device of the, is it Randa? This is like how people pronounce the, um, radio television news. RTNDA. There's no, I don't think there's RTNDA. A... Okay. Yeah. Um, I thought maybe somebody said something at the, anyways, uh, you know, they mentioned when they're introducing Murrow, they're like, this is the man who took on McCarthy and segregation. Mm. And he kind of like lists like a bullet point of like mm. 1950s, 60s, uh, I guess, so, yeah, just 1950s, like con- hot, hot topics. Yeah. And uh, like an important point to make in terms of the, the, uh, the narrative of, of Edward Murrow's career, this, this kind of really sets it up as like, as if, he made the stand on McCarthyism and then that kind of almost like ended his career at CBS. Mm. CBS. It sort of, it sort of like implies that a little bit. That was right. Which is not, not really the case because the, in that, um, when Sig Mickelson is introducing him and he says, yeah, um, McCarthyism, segregation and migrant workers, he's Mm. referencing particular see it now programs that were really important. So the, um, the civil rights one, uh, th- th- there's a few of them, but the migrant workers one, he's talking about a, um, a documentary called Harvest of Shame. Um, mm. And that is kind of heralded as like the most important documentary that F- Friendly Amaro like ever made. Wow. Um, and okay. that, that, that actually Hardly gets a mention in this one. That doesn't get a mention actually because it hadn't happened yet because it actually happened um. in 19, it actually happened in 1961. Yeah. Um, so that is actually so, like a, that's like a that's actually like a uh, another an, like yeah an error I don't know if it's yeah. like yeah that's that's an error an oversight the, or yeah, yeah yeah that that's an error in the okay. movie um, interesting okay or sorry it might have been, yes. Harvest of Shame might have been in 1960 because Edward uh, Morrow leaves CBS in 61 he gets a position at the United States Information Agency one of the sorry this just made me think of the one of the um, really notable um, things that the movie doesn't include is mm. um frank stanton who was the cbs president so mm. bill paley is the founder of C- the founder of cbs the chairman the chief executive and yet yep. some um, frank langella in the movie who's kind of the one executive pushing back or he's like i want to support you guys but i can't in the movie yeah exactly um so bill paley has a um a really interesting relationship with ed morrow um, and that mm. basically the reason that Murrow has the authority that he has at CBS is because of his personal relationship with Bill Paley. There's, ah. um, he ha- he actually has in his contract with CBS that if, um, if everything's a, t- and, and he's a member of, he's a member of the board of CBS as well. Um, yes, that's, that's, yeah, important yeah, to know. <laughs> which, which, is in, yeah. which is important. Um, 
he has a clause in his uh, contract that says if ever Bill Paley stops becoming the highest authority at CBS who he reports directly to he he it's a break clause he's he's allowed to be um freed of his contract wow okay yeah so like that relationship is really crucial and because Edward Morrow is always going directly to Paley hip friendly and Morrow have a direct line there's no one above them there's no one between them and Paley basically mm. so they have this like unheard of level of authority to kind of just do whatever they want well as long as well, then, um, uh, as long as Bill Paley's okay with it. Paley's there. So what's this Frank character you mentioned? So Frank Stanton, sorry. A little, little yeah. dig- tra- digression that went on. So he's, this, he's the president of CBS. Um, right. and so he's he, Paley's boss. He, no, so they... No, Paley is his boss, but he's... Ah, okay. Um, he is, you know, like the sort of next highest executive um, after okay. Paley. Um, okay. And he was the one that introduced the you know so you know uh you have that scene with um joe and shirley Washburn where they have to sign the um they have to sign the loyalty of, yeah the loyalty oh, whatever the f- frank right. Sta- frank stanton's the one that introduces that ah. um, so frank stanton is the one that's like really uh involved with making sure that there are no com- no communists within cbs but frank stanton also at the same time is one of the people who becomes most involved with this idea of um, keeping CBS free, allowing them to like keep them free of regulation and keeping them able to exercise their to the degree that they can First Amendment rights. So he's okay. also he he's a, he's a really important figure in all of the things that they're talking about in this movie, basically, um, and all the different ways. But he's not in it. Um, Interesting. Because, well, potentially because he was... Yeah, do you he, have a theory? Yeah. He was still alive. <laughs> he was still alive um, when when the... Um, the movie. When the movie was made. And he, obviously, because he's the one that implements the the procedures to keep, you know, communists or to, like, investigate everyone. Um, you know, maybe it's, maybe it wouldn't have shown him in a good light. So maybe... The greatest light. Maybe that's why they he didn't... said no. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe it's just that it's it was too... No. I mean, it's not because it was too confusing. They have so many people in there that they easily could not have it because it would make things less confusing um it's it's very intentional that he's not that he's not hmm. part of that um because he, he's he's a, i don't know he's a really important figure in, in that in that history and in that story uh, and yeah he's not there um which is an he's interesting ghost, omission. like an, an unacknowledged ghost kind of looming over it yeah um, in it then in yeah a way. Yeah. Great. Uh, one one of the things I just want to bring up that I think it's interesting that mm-hmm. they kind of don't explore that much in the uh, in the movie is I think Edward Meyer is a lot more of an interesting character than they make, make him come across as. Um, they obviously show you that he's he's working on person to person at the same time he's working on see it now, but he was also doing a daily radio show at the same time. He had really? a da- he had a, a daily. Was, so he's still doing radio. Yeah, he's still doing radio at the same time. Um, he has a it's a daily news show with radio that he's you know cre- like he has a team working on and that he that he's also working on so if you think about that he's he's got every single day he has a radio news show he's working on a weekly episode in this period a weekly episode of see it now and also i think person to person is also weekly i think actually person to person might have been twice a week i could could have got that wrong which is a huge a trem- amount of work. I say a tremendous amount of work, yeah. A tremendous amount of work. He's 
you know, uh, there's a there's a really there's a really great New Yorker profile on him written in 1953 that basically makes him come across as like kind of a lunatic. Um, <laughs> what? Well, not so much. It basically it, it sort of makes it come across that he really peaked um, in terms of his own self fulfillment during the war, and that mm-hmm. and that after the war he was doing everything he could to kind of push himself to the limit because that's where he is operating felt like, like he was yeah working his best yeah. interesting okay um yeah which is interesting and uh really interesting sorry this is a, a total no non- total non secretary really interesting thing in that article is they um that new yorker profile of him in 19 early 1953 i think it is um they uh, get into this question of ob- objectivity in the reporter and all of these things and Edward Murray's principles, and they throw they have a they sort of make the point that and they quote a whole bunch of people and they basically say um, he's definitely fair, da da da. It's really important to him of like the professionalism of you know not showing his politics etc cetera, etc. Cetera. And they have a quote from McCarthy saying wow talking about how fair yeah. Edward Murrow is wow. Which I think is just like really interesting because this is before, it's, obviously, a report and Senator Joseph R. McCarthy. It, it comes out, so you have McCarthy, yeah. Yeah, which is like huh. funny, funny to read. Like, you're like, ah, oh, little did he know what was around the Cor- next Corroboration, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're moving into like maybe like criticism or like reception of the movie now as well. And we've kind of been dancing on that edge. Um, some critics, I mean, uh, this movie got a lot of praise, like um, we mentioned before. It was nominated for six Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Director, Actor, Screenplay, Cinematography, and Art Direction. Uh, it did not win any, but critics really liked it. Hollywood, again, like as we were talking mm-hmm. about, liked it. It's a Hollywood movie. I think Hollywood mm-hmm. loves to kind of applaud itself in that way. Um, but one of the few kind of critics who were maybe a bit more uh, negatively critical on it, Jack Schaefer for Slate, accused it mm. or not accused it but he he felt it was too hagiographic of Moreau, right mm. so mm-hmm. less of showing him as a complicated person and just as this uh brave would have been martyr to kind of take this mm. um you know mm. he was the man who was going to take on mccarthy right and we were all the better for it mm. yeah and i mean the, the i think one of the really important points he makes in that slate review is um the fact that even, I mean, Ed Murrow didn't see himself as the person that took down McCarthy. He, and there's a, there's a quote from him, I don't know if it's in that review or, well, I mean, it's definitely, it is quoted in that review, I think, but it's uh, from somewhere else where he says, like, it's a real shame if people think that we, like, that CBS was the people that brought Mar- that brought McCarthy down because we were really, like, at the tail end of things. Like, there was a, and, and in the, um, right at the beginning um, of the movie when they have the, um, the text comes up and it says, like, few in the press would take a stand against McCarthy. Dare. Says, yeah, it mm-hmm. says something like that. Like, which is just not true. Not true. I mean, yeah. Drew Pearson at the Washington Post was, like, a vocal critic of McCarthy. Henry Luce's Time magazine journalists were vocal critics. Ma- Martin Agronsky, another television journalist, also... Like, a lot of people had been criticising him. This was just, like, one piece of a much bigger puzzle. Um, right. And I think really important that that's... And that's how Edward Murrow felt about it. You know, he didn't see himself as being this like crusading the sole person right? yeah he was yeah, just yeah, yeah yeah adding to yeah. the the straw that breaks the donkey's back yeah exa- exactly um and just yeah on, on that point of kind of they make i think they make 
Maro a slightly less interesting character than he was. I mean, they make he, he's, could interesting, have been. he's interesting yeah. in the movie, but he could have been more interesting, I think, because he is mm-hmm. more interesting. Um, not to say that um, uh, the guy that plays him, whose name escapes me, there was it John Strathairn? Uh, David Strathairn. Da- David, yeah. David, David Strathairn. Um, yeah. You know, he, he, he does a very good job. He's great, yeah. And I think, yeah. again, the critical praise really focused on his performance, and I agree that he's stellar yeah. um, in the role. Yeah, he's very and good he got at it. a nomination for it, yeah. I think that they also make Fred Friendly a much less interesting person than he actually was, uh, which is interesting. I, I agree. Like he just, he doesn't, he's just kind of, I guess... He's just kind of there, and he's like, he's not there, doesn't do that much. He's there for um, Moreau to kind of be like, oh, we should do this. And he's like, oh, I don't know, that's going to upset the executives, and then that's kind of... But, yeah, it, kind of right. Of, yeah. yeah. No, he he was a was a much more interesting person and a much kind of bigger. Um, he, when you read about him, he really comes off the page. Whenever people describe mm. him, he's this like very larger than life presence, and he had that same kind of like frenetic energy that it seemed like Morrow had. He was also, you know, when, when he's when when he's the um executive producer of cbs reports and then i think also mm-hmm. which which is basically what uh like the inheritor to see it now it's uh, when see it okay. now right the legacy yeah, yeah it's it's what comes next and he he's the executive producer of it and Morris is still involved but not um not he's not co-producer uh, as he would okay. it's not this it's it's the Murrow and friendly team but it's basically just friendly and Morrow has taken a much like smaller role Mm. it's sort of an interesting period where CBS is kind of edging him out a little bit um, but he is you know operating five different camera crews on five different stories at any one time he's like all over the place doing loads all the time he's the one every time Maro thinks about slowing down and sort of makes noises like he might leave television and that he's going to take mm-hmm. a holiday friendly is the one that drags him back in with a new project right like okay. so i mean yeah like you said at the top of the kind of record like you know friendly is the one who's dragging Moreau yeah. to tv yeah. he's a lot more yeah he seems a lot more energetic and kind of like um excited about this new medium yeah. than Moreau is and certainly than what we see in the movie yeah and i think he was just i think he was just a much bigger presence and character mm. like i think even kind of just um it's, it comes across to me that he was like quite a, like quite a big guy quite tall quite like like mm. all of these kinds of things like i think presence. he was like quite an imposing yeah. presence in a room and i think george uh george clooney plays him really kind of small like right he definitely takes a second seat yeah but in the movie as well like he's he's often like literally kind of like underneath yeah Murrow when they're filming <laughs> yeah, right like he's like hiding under a desk <laughs> yeah. where the camera is to like i don't know give him signs or whatever it is he's like literally like taking not even the back seat like underneath seat (laughs) to to Murrow um okay interesting yeah so I mean yeah and I wonder what I'm sure Clooney had his or and um Clooney and Clooney co-wrote the script or the the screenplay with with, Grant Heslov uh yes thank you Grant Heslov who who plays Don Hewitt in the um so Don Hewitt the guy that Grant Heslov plays not that you would I don't think they even like say the word Don in it even I mean maybe they do at some point (laughs) but he is also a really important person in so he was the director of See It Now but he's a really important person in the history of TV news because he's the one that Mm. kind of like has all of the like exciting ideas he's also the um creator of, of 60 Minutes um, oh okay yeah important yeah yeah so he's i mean he's an important guy but he he was this real kind of um visionary and he's one of the mm. people that like really shaped like what tv news looks like well, like in that very fred visual Friendly, sense fred Friendly is kind of seen as like the godfather of public television as well isn't he mm, yeah 
so yeah. i mean yeah just like good big big tv, TV guys all over this movie <laughs> yeah. that kind of have to take a back back seat to the to, to the to the main play of McCarthy, um, versus McCarthy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, so yeah, critics really liked it. Like we, like we kind of talked about Hollywood It's a Hollywood movie. They enjoyed, um, it as well. Uh, as I think I mentioned earlier as well, this movie cost, it was pretty cheap, which I think you can kind of tell it's a very close movie. Mm. You know, it's all within the same, um, uh, like, Office rooms, we, ne- we never go outside yeah i think the only time we ever not in cbs is when uh you see like the worshippers family life at home when they're about to leave for work the worshippers okay. don don hollenbeck's <laughs> home and then the one other point that i uh, oh, the bar as well aren't they yeah the bar the yeah. bar um mm-hmm. they do show the bar and one other the the one other time that they take you outside that i thought was interesting the way that they did it is when they show people watching they show people watching right. tv yes and like the, in the in the shop windows yeah mm. and i think it was really that's a really intentional decision that they showed them in in shop windows and not in the home because in 1954 only 58% um of americans have a tv mm. so the actual audience that watched that episode of see it now was was quite small because mm. tv is growing compared to what it would be later yeah yeah tv tv's growing at like a phenomenal rate but in the 1950s, it's in the process of doing that. By 1960, mm-hmm. 90% of American homes have a TV. So okay. like the, so the, 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 like the angle of that graph is like extreme. Um, it's like right, yeah. But in, in, but it's not quite there yet. Yeah. In 1954, yeah. yeah, year on year, it's like growing massively, but in 1954, like not that many people have a TV. Um, Interesting. So, the, you know, they could, they could have shown like people in their homes watching it, but they didn't. They showed people watching it in a, in a, on the in street. a yeah in a store which i mean to me is like oh they're making this point maybe they're not but like it seems like they're making yeah. that they're making that point <laughs> sure right oh interesting okay yeah i i forgot about that so that's good to point out but yeah i mean but it, it lends to this idea that it cost seven million dollars to make and it made 54.6 yep. million you know, quite i'm sure the executives are happy with that historians um again kind of like talking about maybe the longevity of this movie in the public consciousness um, as opposed to a movie like Lincoln, which we just covered, uh, it's not gotten a lot of historical attention. Um, mm. I think uh, the Journal of American History had a long running or still does, I think, um, thing where they have historians uh, review movies. And Ron Briley, in his review for it, he just kind of also says the same thing a lot of the critics are saying. Uh, it'd be great for uh, movies, uh, the kind of the fudging of the timeline at mm. the end as well, the end of See It Now. Um, and he also makes a point in his review that in the final analysis Clooney is a serious filmmaker seeking to use the past to illuminate the present which I really like that quote just as like mm. you know kind of uh this idea of on a flashback right like what to what end are these movies doing and I think this movie in particular is a very good example of right the idea of like a historical movie commenting on the times which we talked about earlier mm. but just want to bring it up again uh, and I think Clooney also, that that's something Clooney has really kept to in the rest of his career. I think since then, this is the second movie he directs. Um, but since then, he has earned quite the reputation for doing products that are very like 20th century historical dramas, um, mm. which may or may not be entertaining. I think the consensus has come down on being less entertaining. <laughs> um, this might be his most successful movie. Is there anything else you want to say about Good Night and Good Luck before we kind of wrap it up or... Yeah, an- another thing that I just wanted to uh, bring up, not to do with that kind of history or anything, but I just think it's like interesting, um, is that the director of photography, Robert Elswit, was the same guy that did There Will Be Blood. 
huh yeah there it goes just okay commonality on the podcast yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly and he also did nightcrawler Hey, and that that was your um, original pitch yeah, the, the, the movie show. that I had to um, sadly decline. No, I'm, I'm so not glad. quite historical yet. Yeah, I'm so glad we did this one. The other thing that I wanted to bring up, just uh, that I noticed in, mm-hmm. in 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 also in terms of kind of like the types of stories that Hollywood likes to tell and the types of stories that um, male actors of a certain age apparently also like to tell, um, mm. is that there are two people in this movie who then go on to do other movies about journalism. Um, one of them being Tom McCarthy, who plays Palmer Williams. So he is the guy, uh, like in the movie, he's the one that um, when they are having that conversation where they say, uh, when Friendly Amaro go to their team and they say, right, is there anything that anyone wants to tell us? He's the guy that says, uh, oh, who, actually. They had an ex-girlfriend who. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that yeah. guy, is mm-hmm. that's, Palmer, that's Palmer Williams. But the actor mm-hmm. is Tom McCarthy and he mm-hmm. goes on three years after this to play a reporter for the Baltimore Sun in The Wire oh Um, okay and if you haven't seen The Wire his storyline is really important because he fabricates a whole bunch of stories Um, so in that The Wire so in that question of like creating the news or not the news yeah Mm -hmm. Um, so he he goes on to do that and has a really important role in um in, in a season of The Wire and then the other person is the guy that plays Sig Mickelson um, whose name is Jeff Daniels um, mm-hmm. oh Jeff Daniels yeah yeah sorry I was, yeah. I was about to say his name's Will McAvoy because he plays <laughs> Will McAvoy in Newsroom um, ah okay so it can kind of continuing yeah yeah line. this this does also this does feel a bit like an aaron sorkin movie in a way um, yeah and actually. i mean obviously like, it's definitely aaron sorkin-esque yeah and obviously the will mcavoy character in news i mean have you, have you seen did you watch newsroom um i've seen the one famous speech i think where he talks about like we report the news um but that's it <laughs> but i mean you know shadows of edward armaro right definitely definitely like i'm but... seeing as well that tom mccarthy directed spotlight which is another oh, like, yeah, huge I mean, journalism classic. movie right like it's huge oh. well it takes a television historian so. <laughs> <laughs> on that then i think we'll wrap it up um thank you so much sage for coming on it's been so much fun like hearing from you and i think yeah i think you're totally right like you know showing not telling and you really told me i guess the background <laughs> of all this um uh this you know this era of television history and i hope our listeners go and watch the movie because i think it you know it's like an hour and a half it's it's worth turning on i think and straythern is really great as murrow and it's kind of fun just to take take a dip into that period of television history um but is there anything you would like to plug uh as we kind of wrap up the podcast anything any projects you have or have had that you would like listeners to know about um oh that's an interesting question that i should have thought more about because <laughs> i knew you Sorry, would I didn't ask warn it, you <laughs> having having listened to previous episodes and you would ask it um no i mean you can find me on twitter i never post on twitter so it's not going to help you much um okay what's your handle it's at sage m goodwin um and you can yeah you you can you can find me there everything else i've got going on is very far down the pipeline so nothing i want to plug at the moment um but yeah that's if you if you want to see a a news feed that doesn't get updated ever that's (laughs) that's mine great uh so listeners (laughs) please go follow sage there on twitter uh for any possible future updates 
Um, and I, yeah, I mean, you're always doing really exciting work. I know at the um, REI, you did a great like, kind of like movie series. So I'm sure wherever you end up, you'll continue to do exciting stuff like that. Yeah, well, I will say if you want to see the single most exciting moment of my entire life, you can see my pinned um, my pinned post on Twitter, which was for an episode of the REI Goes to the Movies, which are all uh, available through the REI website uh, and on YouTube which is where we did a movie we did a, a movie discussion about um Barry Jenkins Moonlight in which he dropped in uh, that was crazy i was there yeah. for that i was like ah <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely yeah single best moment of my entire life so you can, you can have a look at that <laughs> casual the, the perks of academia sometimes yeah. um great so yes thank you sage well, um and thank I think you so that, much for having me this has been a lot of fun yes, <laughs> yes likewise um, and with that, that will be our episode on good night and good luck. Thank you so much for joining us. You can follow us on Twitter at FLSHBCKHISTOPod, flashback histopod. And we will be back again soon to take another look at American history on the silver screen. Until then, good night and good luck. <laughs>